Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your grace. You are so good, Jesus. You are worthy, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, just continue praying this morning. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. You are faithful. You are good. We bless you, Jesus. 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 We praise you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Church, this is what he desires of us, of people who are set apart the display of his glory in all the earth. A people who are fully surrendered. A people who are fully consecrated, dedicated unto him to do his bidding. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 1, let's thank the worship team for leading us into his presence this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're starting into a new series. Um, If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, I got to about that point in the first service, and the electricity in the whole building went out. <laughs> it messed up <laughs> for the next 30 seconds, but hey, we don't stop when the electricity does, amen? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're we'll preaching from this an intro of what Paul normally wrote at many of the front parts of his letter. Uh, probably something that we often skip through or skim through real quickly. I'm going to preach from it today. Father, we thank you for your word that every part of your word gives life. Every jot, every tittle. God, it's there for a reason. So God, I pray that your word would give us life today. Shape us, change us. Mold us as your people, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Today we're launching into a new series called Last Words. This past week I was working on this sermon. Uh, We were out on vacation with my my family and my wife's parents, and um, we were on a cruise, and at the time um, I was working on this sermon entitled Last Words. The seas uh, were about 16 and a half to 20 feet um, tall. Um, if you've ever been on the ocean, that's really tall waves. Um, and so uh, the best way I can put it is the boat was doing this. You couldn't walk in a straight line. Um, and so um, conveniently in this setting, I'm working on a sermon called Last Words. If you looked at my Google search history, it was how large of waves can cruise ships withstand? It's approximately 50 feet, by the way. Um, 
So we were about a third of the way there, which means we had two thirds of, of grace that was there. My next question was, what's the largest wave recorded in history? Which is very interesting. 1,720 feet. 1,720 feet, which was in Latoya Bay, Alaska, which was right beside where we were at. Yeah, so that pours salt into an open wound. It's like, great. Sometimes you gotta stop Googling things and just go to God about those things and trust it to him, right? And so... Um, it was it was an awesome week. Besides besides that, it was it was crazy. Every level during this, it was about a twelve to fourteen hour period that we were in this. Everything was closed exterior on the ship, and they had um, vomit bags at every level of a staircase, at every stairwell inside. And the dining room was pretty much wasn't completely empty, but there wasn't a lot of people in the dining room, so it was it was about enough for that long. And so, but it was it was a wonderful vacation outside of that. So now we'll jump into last words, and thankfully, hopefully, prayerfully, these aren't my last words today. I think I draw attention to this concept often in Scripture, um, because much of the Scriptures we read are the last words of dying men and women. When fate is sealed, and death is certain, and people, they have nothing to gain and people have nothing to lose, the words they speak carry great weight, right? I mean, if we have nothing to gain and nothing to lose, it's almost for sure truth is gonna come forth. And so the book of 2 Timothy is widely accepted as Paul's last letter written. His last words that would be recorded into scripture. And Paul, at this moment, he already records how he has stood on trial once and he was awaiting the second trial which would ultimately result in his death. And honestly, the apostle Paul, someone that is revered by the church, one of the, he's an, he's an apostle, right? He's, he's up there, the greatest missionaries, the greatest, one of the greatest men in the Bible. Paul, at this point in his life and ministry, talks at the end of this letter to Timothy how he had been abandoned by most everybody except the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul, right, had been abandoned. We'll get through it probably in another uh, sermon and part of this series where we'll talk through abandonment. But he talks about how everyone had abandoned him, save the Lord Jesus. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy obviously not abandoned him. And so here you have Paul on death row. Not American death row, Roman death row sharing his heart with Timothy. And Paul knows that outside of a miracle of God, which Paul has seen God do in the past, right? Shaking prisons and all that sort of stuff, bringing them out. Paul knows outside of a miracle, this is it. And out of everyone that he could write to, out of every person he could write to, he writes to Timothy. Notice Paul didn't write to a peer. He didn't write to one of the other disciples, Peter, James, John. He didn't write a letter to another, another uh, church like Ephesus or, or Colossae or, or Rome or Galatia. He didn't write to any of those people. He wrote to a son in the faith. 
Church, I believe there's a valuable lesson here if we will grab hold of it. Who are you investing yourself into? Older generation, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad. There is a younger generation today that is struggling, deeply perplexed, deeply in need of guidance and direction, a generation that is battling with confusion that the world infuses into them at an all-time high, and they are in need of people who will speak into their lives like Paul did a Timothy something Jesus called discipleship. Not a foreign concept to the church, but even discipleship that will bridge the generational gap and reach down into the next generation. And Paul, in his dying words, does this. He looks to and writes to the next generation. And Paul writes, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, in writing to Timothy, first thing he does is he denotes his apostleship right up front. Lays his credentials on the line, but not in a manner of slinging titles around here. He's not coming from a place of boasting. He's not coming from a place of pride. He's, say, he's not saying, look at me and look at what I've earned. Why? Because immediately he points to whose he is, not who he is, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There is a massive difference in whose we are versus who we are, right? Whose we are is the one to whom we belong, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Master, the God who has saved us and redeemed us, the one in which we belong to, whose we are. Who we are is nothing spectacular. What we've done and earned of our own accord. Paul says an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. See, you might be an educator for Christ Jesus. You might be a CPA for Christ Jesus. You might be a truck driver for Christ Jesus. You might be an engineer for Christ Jesus. You might work in sales for Christ Jesus by the will of God. What we do is for him. We are not of ourselves. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why would Paul write this, right? Timothy's his son in the faith. Timothy knows exactly who Paul is. Paul doesn't have to tell him what his credentials are. Paul doesn't have to tell him or remind him of who he is. The reason Paul writes this, in saying this, he's setting the tone for the letter. He's telling Timothy that he's writing with a special seal of authority, a seal of authority to instruct, a seal of authority to admonish. He's writing with directives, not just suggestions, right? He's not saying, Timothy, these are things that I suggest to you, but because he is an apostle of Christ Jesus, he's writing with a spiritual authority. And even though that Timothy is the recipient of the letter, Paul is not only writing with just authority, but he's writing with conviction. Why do I say that? Because Paul knows the end is near. And the words that he is speaking are some of the last words, not that just Timothy will hear, but some of the last words that he will speak. 
before he stands in front of God Almighty. And when we know that the end is near, the dialogue shifts. The dialogue changes. If we know we're about to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords face to face, we're gonna write, we're gonna talk, we're gonna say things in a little bit different manner. You can be sure of that. So Paul writes with authority and conviction and gives these directives. Why? Because he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Notice it wasn't man's will, but God's will, right? Paul had authority because he was living in the midst of God's will for his life. Why do we see people who lack authority, kingdom authority in their lives? Because they are living outside of the will of God. If you want to live in God's authority, kingdom authority, find God's will and live in it. Right? People, what they do is they often go out and seek the title. They seek the title but not his will. The title of apostle, the title of pastor, the title of bishop or lawyer or doctor or senator or sheriff or school crossing guard, whatever the title is, right? They go out and seek the title and think that grants authority. But that's not where kingdom authority comes from. If we live outside of the will of God, we will never have kingdom authority. Find God's will and live in it. I want authority. Like Paul, who could see the dead raised back to life. Right? Kingdom authority. It sees the lepers cleanse, the cripple straighten, cast out demons. Authority that can part red seas. Those are the authority. Jesus even said, all authority has been given in heaven and on earth to me. Go therefore. He commissioned his church with kingdom authority and intended us to walk in that kingdom authority in our lives. Go start living in the midst of God's will and watch the authority that flows forth. So Paul, writing with this authority, writes to Timothy. In verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. You can hear as you lean into this passage, Paul, almost taking a, a deep breath and reminiscing of Timothy's family. Taking a deep breath and reflection, saying, These are good people. These are faithful people. People that Paul would describe with sincere faith. Paul said that this characteristic of sincere faith didn't just rest in Lois, didn't just rest in Eunice, but said, I'm sure it dwells in. You, one which dwelt in his grandmother, one which dwelt in his mom. And at first when I was reading this, I wrote sincere faith, which was passed on to. That might have been the waves that we were in, but that's not what Paul said. Paul said sincere faith, which dwelt in his mother and grandmother. Which begs to question, what is dwelling on the inside of you? See, we don't just pass on what we choose to the following generations. We pass on those things that dwell inside of us. 
we don't pass on what we want to. We don't get to select a, 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 a la carte menu and say, hey, I'm going to pass on this character trait and that character trait, but these other eight character traits, I'm not going to pass on. No, no, no. That's not what we pass on. We pass on those things that dwell inside of us to the oncoming generations. We pass on the disposition of our lives. We pass on the attitudes and the behaviors and the characteristics that we identify with. And so we can't expect to live in unforgiveness and let forgiveness flow forth into the future generation. We can't expect to live in stingy lifestyle and expect generosity to flow forward into the next generation. We can't, ex we can't live in bitterness and expect grace to flow forth, right? We pass on those things that dwell inside of us. Paul says, I am sure the sincere faith right, dwells in you. Lois and Eunice, see, when they started out, I'm sure they didn't know the fruit that they would produce. They just served God and were faithful, sincere faith. And in doing the right thing, Lois and Eunice, the mom and grandma, they produce a faithful child, one who would be tremendously used of God, one who would have global impact 2,000 years later and until kingdom come. Mom and dad, sincere faith dwelling in your life has much more impact than just one lifespan. Sincere faith has generational impact. And in this context, it can endure for multiple millennia. I'm sure that Timothy's mom and grandma had no clue what was going to happen and how God might use Timothy in the future. They were just sincere in their faith. And it probably is the wisdom of God to not let us know. Because God might not let us know some of the impact we might have because if he did, we would mess it up. If we thought, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have that impact in the future, we think it all rests on us, and it doesn't. It rests in his sovereign hand. So what are, we, what are we supposed to do? We are here to plant and to water and trust God to give the increase. That's what we are called to, and that's what Lois and Eunice did for Timothy, sincere faith. They planted, they watered, and God gave a multiple millennia impact. And he says in verse 6, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. I remind you. How many of you know that the best of us at times need reminding? Timothy had sincere faith. Timothy had Paul. The Apostle Paul was a mentor, right? I mean, like, can't, he was up there. Timothy was a pastor of a New Testament church. And Timothy's got a lot going for him. But Timothy needed, Timothy needed reminding, right? Timothy needed reminding. And we all need reminding. And not just reminding, we need to take it to heart. What good is a reminder if we do not take it to heart? What good is instruction? What good is correction if we do not take it to heart? What good is seed if it's never planted? Like we're not just here to get seed. We're here to let the seed be planted, be watered, and to give growth and an increase. Amen? 
So Paul, in saying this, says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Paul is using this imagery of stirring up the, the embers of a fire. And I, I remember growing up, we had this um, steel furnace, I guess, if you will. I asked my parents what the name of it was. And the ca- I don't know, it was a cast iron stove or that's a skillet or something like that. Uh, it was this metal furnace that we had in our house that to get the fire to grow, um, if you had wood and fuel in there, you would open up the valve and you'd let more oxygen in and the fire would grow. But at nighttime, dad would always close the valves and let the fire um, die down. We had heat and air, so I don't even know why we did this, but for kicks and giggles, I I just put the thermostat button, right? It's so much easier. You have to clean it out. And so um, you would tighten it down and decrease the oxygen flow going into this cast iron skillet stove thing. And so um, at times, if the embers were still there in the morning, we had a fire poker. And you go put fresh wood on the fire. And then you'd begin to stir up the embers. And that's the imagery that Paul is evoking in this point, is to fan into flame, is to stir up the embers. And I preached this a few years ago, and I had a fire poker and a leaf blower on stage. I told everybody to stop poking around in the fire and start fanning and blowing that baby into flame. Why? Because here's the reality. Even though the gift of God was given to Timothy, it was imparted through the laying on of hands, Timothy still had great responsibility when it came to that gift. Timothy had great responsibility. Every Christian, not just Timothy, not just Paul, every Christian is given gifts from on high. We are all given, but we all have great weight and great responsibility to stir those gifts up, to to fan those gifts into flame within our lives. Paul is saying the output is directly related to the input, meaning the size of your flame is directly related to how hard you're fanning. That's the reality. The size of the flame, the size of the gift, the size of this flame in your life is directly related to how hard we are fanning this. In church, we all have these giftings, giftings that have been given by God that all we have to do is to begin to stir them up. And the more we exercise these gifts, the more the gift of God will grow within our lives. Has a direct relationship. Jesus even addressed this in Matthew 13, 12. It says, for the one... For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You know what this means? That every opportunity we must have, we must take to use the gifts, to stir the gifts of God up in our lives. For this is the best way of increasing in the gifts of God. The best way to see grace grow is through being grace. The best way to see the gifts grow is through using gifts. You don't expect flowers to bloom or fruit to be produced if you don't first get into the dirt and plant and water seeds. Our society wants the fruit without the farm. We want the fruit without the work, without the dirt, without the soil, and without the toil. That's what we want in our society. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. You got responsibility. You better fan this baby into flame. Fan the flame, but be careful. Just because you use the gifts faithfully in a season past 
does not mean that you won't allow them to lie, allow them to lie dormant in a season to come. Because many who say, well, I'm just going to take a break, take a much longer break than expected. Some that have even falled and withdrawn from the fight and haven't gotten back in because guess what? The gifts, as much as they can be fanned into flame, the gifts can decay as well. Why? Because fanning the flame, it's not easy. Fanning the flame takes fighting. Fanning the flame means laying aside our preferences. Fanning the flame means getting everything out of our lives that might slow us down from pursuit of the kingdom and pursuit of the will of God. Getting our preferences, our selfish ambition, and all of the things out of our life, our envy, our quarrel, all of these things. Getting it out and pursuing it, laying it all down for the sake of knowing Him as King and as Lord of our lives. So Paul fan it. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And he tells, tells Timothy, for God gave us spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Where's Paul writing this from? Death row. What does he say? For God gave us not a spirit of what? You're telling me a man on death row. This is why context is so important. A man on death row. One, in death row in Rome, could be thrown to the lions, could be given to the gladiators, to feast over, could face beheading. I mean, whatever you could imagine. In Rome, it basically went for torture and for pain. And a man on death row writes to Timothy from his dungeon. It says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The worship team, if you would come back to the stage. The Greek word Paul uses for fear is fear in the sense cowardice basically God did not give us a spirit to be a coward he did not give us a spirit of fear of cowardice Timothy a man of God being reminded being instructed someone who held sincere faith was being reminded of what cowardice a pastor in the church was being reminded of what cowardice Fear and cowardice is one of, if not the greatest hindrance from using the gift of God in our lives. This is one of the things that Pastor Tony operates so well in, and the giftings is deliverance from this. Jesus said, if you're battling that, I want you to come tonight. Let Pastor Tony pray with you. Matthew 25, Jesus addresses this. He said, he also who had received the one talent parable of the talents came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. I was fearful, coward. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. The man's result wasn't good, right? He was told to depart. Why? Because of fear. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Fear in something is actually faith. 
in something. And Jesus constantly, to see heaven's will accomplished in and through their lives, constantly told the disciples, fear not. It's not something that we just battle in today's culture. It's something that the early fathers, church officials, apostles, and disciples, they battled as well. The spirit of fear changes not. But guess what? The spirit of faith changes not. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And this is our God-given identity. Why would Paul write this to Timothy? Because Paul or Timothy battled many things. Number one, age. And I'm closing. Age, am I too young? Paul wrote, let no one despise you because you are young, Timothy. Church, let us not reinforce in tomorrow's generation what Paul fended off for Timothy. You're too young. You're not old enough yet. You still got a lot of growing up to do. May we not be guilty of reinforcing what Paul fended off for Timothy. Samuel is just a boy. David, a ruddy shepherd boy. We've got to partner with and get this next generation and the fight, get them engaged and fan it into flame. Make it a part of their DNA as children, as middle school students, as high school students. So this is the training up in the way they should go. Not only did Timothy battle an age complex, but Timothy battled intense opposition of false teachers. And angry religious leaders in that time weren't easy to deal with. They crucified Jesus. Timothy, he battled a completely wicked and morally decaying culture. Persecution from a hardened Roman government. Right? The recipient of the letter got it from a man writing in prison facing death. So he's battling all of these things and Paul says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, self-control. Power, which only comes through the Holy Spirit to walk in authority, to accomplish the difficult task, the kingdom task he has called us to love, a love that can love all, even in the face of opposition. I looked into the commentaries. What kind of love is this referring to? It's a, a love that Jesus in his last dying words, Jesus' last dying words would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A love that covers the sins of others. A love that looks at the craze of a culture and even though we may not agree with it, we may not understand it, we may not be able to even stand it. We are able to look beyond the sin and see people in need of the grace and mercy of God because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the love of power, of love, and a sound mind or self-control, a mind that would not indulge into the pleasantries of the world, but one that would be set apart and consecrated for the kingdom task that was at hand. What did Paul say to Timothy? First Timothy 4, let no one despise you because you are young, but set an example, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Devote yourself to ministry. Don't neglect the gift that you've been given. Practice these things and keep a close watch on yourself and teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save yourself and your hearers. For the salvation of many. Why do we exist? To help people encounter Jesus. Salvation of many. 
church, this is what we are called to. If you would stand with me. Paul, I believe would write these exact same words to our culture and generation today. To every person that names the name of Christ. Grandma, granddad, mom, dad. Maybe you're here and you don't have biological children. Paul didn't either. Paul didn't have biological children, but he had many sons in the faith. Who are you investing yourself into? We don't get an opt-out because we don't have a, a bloodline. We have a kingdom bloodline. That's sufficient. Who are you investing into? And I'm talking beyond the generational gap getting out of, we do a great job of discipleship, but so many times our discipleship is homogenous. It's the same people, same age group, same demographics. Where are you getting out of and serving and connecting to invest into next? Are you letting sincere faith dwell on the inside of you? So things you need to write down. Who am I investing into? Think on, dwell on. Am I letting sincere faith dwell on the inside of me? If not, what is dwelling on the inside of me? Is it Trump and Fox and Biden and CNN? That won't bring sanity. That won't bring clarity. What's dwelling on the inside of you? Are you fanning your flame, fanning the gift into flame? If you haven't started, start. If you've stopped, restart. Get in the dirt, plant seed, water it. It'll grow. And lastly, just fear your engine faith with power love and self-control move you forward with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed and I thank you for your word today thank you that your word gives life thank you that your word corrects and trains in righteousness I pray father that as we look inside God that see where we are out of align with your word it's not that your word's out of align it's that we are out of align so father pray that you would reveal that to us and that we may align our lives with your eternal word in jesus name with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here this morning and you don't know jesus the savior maybe it's the first time or maybe you've backslidden you've fallen away He's here for you. He's calling out to you. He's wooing you to come home. He wants relationship with you. If you're watching online or here this morning, I want you to just slip up your hand so that we can pray with you. That's you. You need to surrender, resurrender, dedicate your life to the Lord. Amen. 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 I want us all to pray this prayer together and say, Dear Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for salvation. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and be Lord of my life. Be king over my life. Help me to live for you at every stage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If our prayer team, if you would come front, if you raise your hand for that, I want you to connect with one of our prayer team down front. But if you're here this morning, and maybe you're looking at your life, who are you investing into? You need to pray about that. 
Maybe what's dwelling on the inside of you. You need to come lay that down at the altar this morning. Maybe there's some giftings that you're not fanning into flame that you need to come pray about. I want you to come forward right now. Maybe, maybe there's some fear that you've been facing and battling that you need deliverance over. I want you to get out of your seat this morning and let's come agree and believe together that God is going to break these things and guide these things as the worship team leads us in song. No place that I'd rather be, no place that I'd rather be, no place that I'd rather be, here in your love, here in your love, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, here in your love, here in your love, so no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love, so no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, here in your love, here in your love, set fire.
Jesus afresh God we surrender God we want to be used by you it's what this world needs God it's what this nation needs people who are fully surrendered people who are dedicated to your will in all the earth God we're here for you by you. Help us to fan into flame this gift. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want us to pray real quick over our nation in closing. Um, I'll read the ironic blessing. But our nation needs prayer. Our nation needs awakening. Our nation needs God. We can't expect all of the things of the world to fix the world. It's got to be God to fix the world. And I want us to place America, pray for America. He's placed us on the wall of this nation to be gap standers, people who will pray over this nation, pray for the good of the land. That's what the church was to do. That's what you see in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, to work for the good of the land. That's what we are here for, to work for and to believe for. So I want us to pray for heaven revi heaven's revival to come and to ignite the hearts of people all across this nation. Father, we come before you. God, we know that the challenges are many, but our God is so much greater. God, we don't look to anything in this world to fix this world. We look to you. God, we look to God's house. We look to the kingdom. God, for the kingdom has the answers for such a time as this. And I pray, Father, that we would be as Esther's. God, that we have been appointed for such a time as this. God, that we wouldn't look and be so much caught up as Esther was in the beauty pageant. But God, as Mordecai, I gave a great warning to Esther that if you don't stand up, somebody will. And God, may we stand up for such a time as this for this nation and for our world and see you move and see you work in this land. God, we pray for revival. God, we pray that you would reignite, start with your people, reignite church houses across this nation to gather around the foot of the cross. And may we see people saved and redeemed and drawn out of darkness and into the light, Father. We ask that you would take out the hearts of stone out of men and women and give a heart of flesh. God, as we see the hurt and the pain, God, from shootings to violence to all these things taking place God our heart goes out we know yours does too have mercy on our nation we love you Lord we thank you for it in Jesus name amen numbers chapter 6 the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to Aaron and his sons saying thus you shall bless the people of God you shall say to them the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of God and I will bless them. I'm going to pray, but Father's Day next week, Pastor Tony tonight.
Josh Carter a couple weeks. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. God, may your grace go before us, prepare the way so that we may walk in the path that you have ordered for us, God. May we fan this flame in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Start class. Don't forget about start class.